Would you please help me welcome Lady Carlson? Good morning. Uh, we, we're trying a new experiment this morning. Y'all know I like to walk, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm wired this morning, so I hope this is going to work. Uh, and first of all, I thank you very much. Uh, I'm very touched, uh, first of all, and I get teary sometimes, so bear with me, by all you did uh, when my husband died. Uh, and just as a, a little person, the choir was wonderful. Thank you all, souls, for everything you did. And I'd like to start with just a little personal story. My husband liked uh, brunch. And every, on Sunday mornings, we'd go to Giuseppe's for brunch. He wasn't religious, uh, was a, a black Catholic, and so we'd go to brunch on, on Sunday mornings. And this was the last dress he bought me uh, for brunch, and I didn't get a chance to wear it with him uh, because he died. And so this is the first time I've worn this dress. Uh, but he would have wanted me to wear it on such a special occasion. And so, again, thank you. Uh, thank you, and I proudly, proudly accept uh, the Emerson Award and, and am deeply uh, humbled by it. I uh, like the King James Version because as a colored girl growing up in Port Arthur, we were taught that the King's English was the proper way to speak. And so uh, I grew up on the King James Version of the Bible, and I just love the King's English. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And I like that scripture in Hebrews because it talks about a people that see themselves as pilgrims and is looking for a better land. In interfaith, we say that we live in the world as it is, but we're striving for the world as it should be. And, you know, Jesus says that, that the kingdom of God is upon you, that heaven is here. When I grew up in the Baptist church, they told me, no, heaven was somewhere else and that it would get better by and by when the morning comes. When I started organizing, I understood that the morning was here, <laughs> that we are creating the world we live in, and we have two choices. We can dream of the world as it should be, or we can live in the world as it is, that we're writing history now, and it's up to us as to the world we're going to leave behind. This was not what I wrote down, but I'm going to veer from my prepared remarks. To, I grew up with a bunch of old black women that kept me in, in the Missionary Baptist Church, and I grew up during segregation. And when I grew up, you know, we, we had to live in certain parts of the town, and, and we had to sit at the back of the bus, and, and you know, we had to go to certain schools. But my teacher said, you know, we're not bound by that. And so we're going to teach you Shakespeare. 
we're going to teach you Kipling. Although I didn't know Kipling was a racist, but that's another story. <laughs> another story entirely. He had some good stuff to say, you know. And so I grew up not understanding that the world was limited to me. When I started organizing, it, reinfor it reinforced to me that the world is not limited to me. My grandmother said that reach for the moon and you might land on a star. And so all my life I've been taught to li live and be realistic. We live in the world as it is, but we're striving for the world as it should be. There's a German theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr, and Niebuhr wrote a book called The Children of Darkness and the Children of Light. That book talks about, and, and you know, that scripture, Jesus says that the children of darkness are wiser in their day than the children of light. Niebuhr writes the book in response to both Hitler and Stalin. And he says that, that in Europe, the children of light wrongly believe that, that the children of darkness would do the right thing for the right reason. He was looking at European history. Remember, the, the church owned all the land, the church and the, the nobles, and, and Europe was in transition and trying to figure out what to do. And so as, as they're going through this period, they turn to Stalin and to Hitler thinking they're going to do the right thing, right? Niebuhr says, no, the children of darkness do the right thing when it's in their interest. And we would say in, in interfaith that they do the right thing for not only when it's in their interest, but when they understand power. Now, you know, I, I grew up in a tradition that said power was a bad thing. Self-interest was a bad thing. And I'm here to say, no, they're not bad things. That they are the way the world operates. And if we don't understand power and self-interest, we're always that group of people that are hoping for good things, but we're getting beat. We're getting beat by the other guys because they understand power and self-interest. And they are creating the world. Not that, you know, I'm trying to, as I, as I tell this story, I'm not saying the city council is the children of darkness, although, you know, sometimes we wonder, but, you know, they're good guys. They're good guys. They're trying to do the right thing. But what we have to understand is that we have a vision for the world as it should be. But if we don't have power and understand self-interest, we're going to always operate and, and live in the world as it is. So about eight years ago, a group of people came together, employers and people that needed bus service, and they had a vision for a Shreveport where bus service was extended. Now, that may not be a great vision for some people, but for the people that needed bus service, it really was a matter of justice. And how do we get people into those jobs that are on the second and the third shift? Our vision was extended bus service. But remember, we're writing a narrative. 
It's a story. And so it didn't end with bus service. We began to do this thing. There's a woman named Ruth Bryant. Ruth Bryant lives in Allendale, and, and she was concerned about her neighborhood, and she was concerned that uh, abandoned property, vacant lots, overgrown built weeds were destroying the, the area she lived in. And so her vision of Allendale was how do we improve this neighborhood? The first time uh, Cedric Glover ran for mayor, we did a meeting at Evergreen Baptist Church, 300 people, and we said to the candidates, if you are elected, we want you to work with us to address property standards. Well, listen, we understand power and self-interest, right? If I'm a mayoral candidate and there are 300 people in the room, they're black and they're white, they're Jewish, they're Christian, they're Muslim, they're Unitarian, you're kind of silly to say, no, I won't work with you, right? And so they said, sure, we'll work with you. Well, after the election, guess what happened? First of all, we increased voter turnout in those neighborhoods where voter turnout had been traditionally low. We understand power, self-interest, and the, our desire to make our vision a reality. So when we went back to Mayor Glover, he knew that we had increased voter, voter turnout, so he met with us. Mrs. Bryant has said to Mayor Glover, because then she organized something called Blitz Against Blight, People like Lois Scheib and Susan Bediger and Latifah Hawk and, and Susan Caldwell and Reverend Barbara Gerald walked neighborhoods, white people fanning out in these black neighborhoods recording addresses, and we worked with the property standards director to address blighted property. Mrs. Bryant will tell you that the mayor created Operation T-Bone because of interfaith. Now, the mayor will say, no, he dreamed it up as a six-year-old child, but, you know, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we, we won't argue the, the, the fine details of who did what. <laughs> the world as it is, the world as it should be, the power to move the world to where it should be. So we're meeting with Jim Holt, who's a property standards director. We, we get all these responses to blighted neighborhoods, and, and Jim Holt says to, her, to us, y'all are off the mark, right? And we're like, off the mark? What do you mean? We have the power as property standards to address the outside of the property. We don't have the power to address the inside of the property. And so people in Shreveport are living in, 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 in apartments and, and buildings that don't have a toilet, that don't have running water. They're living in, 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 in buildings where uh, the electricity is not safe, where there are holes in the roof. And so I'm challenging interfaith that y'all need to do something about that. And so interfaith being, you know, we're not do-gooders, I always say that. We're not do-gooders, but we saw an opportunity really to do something and, and to build a constituency that would support getting the city to pass a code. Simple, right? 
the right thing, the right thing, the right thing for the right reason. No. <laughs> Boy, did we not understand. Well, we knew we'd get backlash, okay? But the landlords came out in force. And they called us a bunch of do-gooders and liberal bleeding hearts. And, you know, it's all those... Uh, now, I'm going to say this, but this is how I can... It's all those damn poor black people that ought to know better. Why are they renting property from people when it doesn't have a toilet in it? So Interfaith said, well, we need to investigate this. And, and Lois Schaub would say, you know, we need pictures. We need proof. And, and so we didn't know where to... But we started having these conversations visiting places and taking pictures. And, and after the last election, Susan Bettinger, we went to her and said, we want a meeting with your council. We met with all the council people. But we wanted a meeting with Oliver Jenkins. And uh, uh, I'm going to tell this story on Susan. She might get mad at me, but she's like, he's the one Republican I met that I liked. Now, remember, we're nonpartisan, but hey, you know, these stories are important. <laughs> Oliver Jenkins is a retired Marine and a, a, an avowed Republican. He became our champion. The world as it is and the world as it should be. And he carried the legislation so we were no longer bleeding heart liberals worried about all those poor people. It changed the conversation. Power and self-interest. The vote passed unanimously. And then I... That's right. You missed, look, if you're a good Baptist, you missed a good place to say Amen. <laughs> And then I don't want to leave out Latifah Hawk, who has been, listen, the reason I can do what I do is because there are a group of people that have a vision in this community for a better Shreveport. I was taught the kind of religion that looked for the hereafter. I like Hebrews because it talks about, for me, the here now. It talks about those people being pilgrims and seeking a better country. There are not, all of us can say that Shreveport is fine. I love it. It's good. And so why mess with it? But there are some of us that say, yes, it's good. Yes, I love it. But yes, it can be better. We're pilgrims with a vision of justice and the world as it should be. Uh, we, uh, uh, I'm, the other thing you have to understand about black Baptists is that we close for about 20 times, okay? <laughs> and each closing takes about 20 minutes, so I'm not going to do that to you, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not going to do that to you, but, but I do want to say this to you. We're writing a narrative. It's a story. And each victory, hopefully, 
gives us the courage to tackle something a little bit greater. The last time I was here, uh, I talked about organized labor, and I think I was a little down, and I said to Susan afterwards, was I too negative, Susan? Did I, was I too depressing? <laughs> but I have hope. I have hope not only for Shreveport, but for the state. We are working now to bring an initiative here that would start with employers that have living wage employment, jobs that go unfilled, bring training providers to the table to say this is the training those employers need. If they don't need Shakespeare, then, then the training shouldn't be around that. It should be around giving adults employable, upgraded skills. And then a counselor that works with the trainees to make sure that they complete the training. The world as it should be. We have too many people who are in systemic poverty their grandmother, their mother, and they are now on welfare. We are working to break the cycle of poverty. NOVA, our initiative in, in Monroe, has an 81% completion rate. They placed a gentleman a, a week ago in a job making $54,000 a year with a career path and benefits. They've placed people that were ex-offenders, that were ex-drugged. Now, that's not the purpose of this program, okay? It's to get people that work at McDonald's, at Burger King, uh, at Target, which I love, but Target is a horrible employer. Walmart is a... Anybody like Walmart? Sorry, I hate Walmart. Walmart is a horrible employer. It's to move those people into living wage employment hopefully then put less pressure on low-skill, low-wage jobs by moving people up. That's the next battle, I think, for us. Now, that doesn't mean there are some things we're not doing in the interim, some neighborhood things, but living wage employment. Can you imagine a family that's been making five, $6,000 a year using the emergency room as their health care provider, getting a living wage job where they can then have a, a doctor and do all the preventative things that all of us are doing. I paid Ron to do that. <laughs> where there is no vision, the people perish. Interfaith has a vision. It is a vision that comes from you. My job is just to work with you to talk about how to make that vision a reality. But you are the visionaries, and I'm here to work with you. As I close, <laughs> the other thing is this, and I'll, I'll end with a, a my husband was white. I don't know if all of you knew that. My husband was white. And we had these great kind of blended family 
gatherings that we did together. And, and uh, I, I would say to people, look, I have a set of black children and a set of white children. But that we understood there are some things that just are things we've created. Race, religion, socioeconomic status to keep us divided. And so my vision is a people of power that come together, that look at how to make Shreveport better, going beyond those artificial boundaries. But it's also this saying, how do we make our state, which can be the laughing stock of the country, how do we make our state a place where people say, I want to move to Louisiana. When Perry asked me to move here, I said, Perry, black people my age don't move to Louisiana. They move away from Louisiana, and then when they are 90, they come back. Well, what about if we looked at four years from now, creating a statewide network of IEF organizations where we develop an agenda and we say to gubernatorial candidates, this will make our state better. If you are elected, work with us around this agenda. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Thank you.